Hello, welcome to Pigeon Post. This is Michael coming at you from Cheyenne, Wyoming. That's right. Whoopitayayo. Get along, little doggies. Um, it is Reformation Week. Reformation Day is coming up. And maybe I'm the only one celebrating. I don't know. Um, but I wanted to try to get out a few podcasts just to get some thoughts out there about why we would even care that it's uh, Reformation Day on Saturday. Uh, what What is so special about this? Um, why do I hate Catholics and Mormons and uh, everybody else that I hate? I'm just kidding. I don't hate anybody. Uh, <laughs> although I, I get this strange feeling that um, I've just been uh, disengaged from uh, with a lot of people that that I've tried to engage, but that's okay. Um, I've made podcasts about that, so I don't want this to be a complaining uh, podcast. What I want to do is I want to talk about the five solas. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not well studied in the Reformation. Like, I can't like give you the whole history of everything Luther did and Calvin and everything, but I know the basics. And uh, I do know that the five solas were kind of something that were pointed out, like looking back on the Reformation, like what allowed the Reformation to occur. And like I said, I'm not a historian, so I don't want this to to sound like I'm giving a history lesson because I'm not qualified to give a history lesson. Um, but what I would want to say is, or what I do want to focus on is, how do we keep reforming, right? Because another saying that came out of the Reformation, or looking back on the Reformation, is semper reformanda, I think is how it's, I think there's an N in there. Uh, maybe there's not an N in there, and it's semper reformanda, but I think it's reformanda. Anyway, basically the phrase is that we're always reforming. And, um, you know, I get so troubled and burdened, first in my own life, okay, I know that a lot of the things that I post and when I when I try to talk to people, uh, it could probably come off like, oh, you got everything right in your life. Well, no, let me just look at my life first and say like, how did Reformation happen in my life, okay? Well, first of all, I was born and raised, believe the gospel, you know? We believe that Jesus' blood saved us from our sins and um, that we can believe by faith and. I knew that I wasn't working my way to heaven. I knew that my baptism wasn't saving me. You know, I knew all these things because my parents taught me these things. And, uh, and that's a good thing, right? And so, um, but also what was kind of, even though I knew that it wasn't right in my heart, I think I just kind of believed that I was a good kid. And I think I still kind of, I fall for that sometimes, but these days, more often, I, I'm in despair because I know that I'm evil, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I think that if I looked at my own life and said, you know, when it, where has Reformation happened, you know, it has happened through um, God showing me in His Word that I am not good, that, that in my flesh there's no good thing, and that trying to get by on being good enough um, and 
it, it almost leads to more sin because you just start saying, well, I'm really good in these areas and, and this area, you know, I'm technically following what God says, but my heart's not really in it. And so I've had these compromises that would work out in my life, you know, like, um, I really liked, you know, to kind of, um, feel better about myself by kind of like making fun of people. I think I did that in high school quite a bit, you know, and, but then when you're on the side that gets made fun of, then it's not fun anymore. Right. Um, and then just, you know, compromises in my, um, my twenties, just, just, you know, I don't want to get into specifics cause I, I think what I'm trying to do is help help all of us like look at our own life and say like how have I had these maybe even moral reformations right like these things that I would that I would do or these sins that now I look back on them and and they're I would never want to do that again you know um even though I could see like where the desire comes from in the flesh like now I have like you know words to describe what was happening to me and all of that was in the Bible the whole time, right? Uh, and also, like, just trying to figure out, like, well, how could I even do all these sins and know Christ? You know, is that possible that I was just doing this? I mean, anybody looking at my life would be like, oh, you didn't, you weren't sinning that much. But I know my heart, you know, and it was, I was sinning a lot. And it was like, and I had no affection for Christ and for his word. And so it's like, well, how did, how did that happen? You know, like, how did it, how did it come about that? I actually even cared that I was sinning and that, and that this needed to stop, you know? Um, and that just kind of showed me once again, like that God opened the eyes and he, uh, changed my heart. And it wasn't because of anything that I was doing. It was just something that he decided to do out of grace and love for me while I was still a sinner. Christ died for me. And the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, and so finally, just having, when that happened, you know, and it, it kind of happened, or you know, either through or around the same time that I was listening to some people that were kind of reformed and I didn't really even know what that meant. Uh, and so basically getting a theology that really just is true. I mean, that just bears out in your life because you're, you know, people ask questions all the time, like why are Christians hypocrites and stuff, you know, and they ask things like that. And the answer is like, well, they're not really Christians, you know? Well, why are they pretending to be Christians? Well, because we feel good about ourselves when we think we're better than other people and try to be good and work our way to God. And they need the gospel, right? And so I know I'm kind of all over the place right now, but I'm just telling you that in my personal life, like moral and spiritual reformation has happened, but it has happened through things that you would learn in Reformed theology but I wasn't seeking it out. It just happened. And then the language came later as I was listening to these preachers, you know, like Mark Driscoll, who I wouldn't endorse nowadays, 
uh, but this podcast is not about that. But <laughs> John Piper and you know other guys, just kind of R.C. Sproul, huge for me, still huge for me, R.C. Sproul. Um, but basically, these guys kind of coming along and and giving me a big picture of God, um, that God is holy, that I am totally depraved, that I am in need of a grace that I can't earn, and that and a love that is is unconditional and yet exclusively found in Christ. And you start seeing how the Bible teaches these things and how the world and even liberal Christianity and other versions of Christianity um, really just go off the rails when they don't have these I look at Reformed theology almost like guardrails, you know? And now, here's the point that I wanted to get to. The point is that Reformation, historically, with Martin Luther and Calvin, and personally, with me, and whenever Reformation happens in churches, like if a church is like, hey, we need to change this, you know, this is wrong. Anytime that happens, it is happening because people are believing that the Bible is the Word of God. So this podcast, this particular episode is about sola scriptura. What is sola scriptura? Why do some people just despise it, right? And why do some people, like, why does it change their life? And then also, why do some people misuse it? Or how do some people misuse it? I don't know why all the time, right? So sola scriptura is basically the belief that the Bible is the word of God. And that being the Word of God, it has authority. And so we are to be shaped by the authority of the Word of God. Um, Just like the Israelites were shaped uh, by the Ten Commandments that came down from the mountain, right? And so I I really like Sola Scriptura as a... um, I like to look at the Ten Commandments as sort of like this microcosm of Sola Scriptura because a lot of people will throw out all these reasons why Sola Scriptura can't be true or whatever. And really, if you believe that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and that Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and that the people could comprehend what the Ten Commandments said and what they meant and that they could live in light of the Ten Commandments. And you can go on and on from there. Basically, just take the Ten Commandments as a microcosm and say, like, if that is what happened there, why not is that what happened with the whole Bible, right? And it is what happened with the whole Bible, right? Because it's, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord said. Uh, This is what happened, right? These prophets are writing these words down and claiming that it is from the voice of the Lord, right? From the word of the Lord. And uh, so that metaphor sort of extends throughout all Bi- the whole Bible. So when you pick up the Bible, it's just as holy as picking up the Ten Commandments if you had the original stones that it was written on, right? And so we believe that God preserved his word, you know, from when uh, Moses received it to when it made its way down the mountain. It was still there, that the people could understand it, and that 
none of the Ten Commandments conflicted with each other. So it's not a conflict to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, you know? Well, I'm using summation of the law, but anyway, it's not a conflict. Like if you, if you put, um, you shall not covet and you shall not uh, bear false witness, those two things don't conflict with each other. And so that's also how we should look at Scripture, right? That Scripture is one unified Word of God. And that is, it is authoritative. Now, a lot of people just don't want to buy into that, right? I, I think I know several reasons why people don't want to buy into it. Now, probably the biggest reason, the thing that I hear the most often, when you quote something from the Bible, somebody says, well, that's just your interpretation, right? And to a certain degree, I can really sympathize with that. Yeah, maybe it is just somebody's interpretation, right? So when Joel Osteen gets up and, and quotes half of a Bible verse to support some ridiculous thing that he's saying about the law of attraction in Christian terms, basically, I would say, not that's just your interpretation, Joel, but that is the wrong interpretation. It's just the plain wrong reading of it. Like, you don't even have to do as much interpretation as you think you do. You know, when you read the Bible, you read it like you would read any book, right? And if you read the book enough, then the book says what the book says. And you have to follow some principles that you would follow when you read anything, right? And we know this is true with politics, right? It really stinks, you know, it, when you've got um, politicians that are taking each other out of context and quoting things and uh, just messing up the timeline and just making each other look like fools uh, by, by twisting the truth. And the Bible says, it tells us that people will twist God's truth. And so this happens with anything, and it doesn't make the Bible invalid any more than it makes the Ten Commandments invalid, or um, the Constitution invalid, or uh, really any document or anything that you witness where somebody can... Uh, twist something and take it out of context like that's just something that people do right it's a that's a violation of the Ten Commandments that they're they're bearing false witness and people constantly bear false witness against Scripture but does that make it not the Word of God no in fact it is impossible to have to really say anything that somebody can't try to twist and take out of context we know this in our personal life. So the question really is not like, uh, oh, the Bible is so vague that a bazillion interpretations are valid, right? The question is really just like, we don't know the Bible, right? We don't read it enough to know that when, uh, you know, James is talking about faith and works, uh, that he's not conflicting with Paul when he talks about faith and works, right? Or that when, um, um, I'm trying to think of other things that can be taken out of context and, and switched. Um, 
I don't know. Think of anything where somebody says that's just your interpretation. Oh, here's a good one. Um, when somebody says thou shalt not judge, right? And they basically try to use that to, to, to shut you down or to shut Christians down from saying anything about anything, right? You say anything <laughs> that when you take a stance on anything and people know you're a Christian, they say, thou shalt not judge, right? Um, and it's like, you basically would have to erase the whole rest of the Bible if thou shalt not judge meant that there's no truth, right? There's absolutely truth. And thou shalt not judge uh, is talking about our relationships with each other and how we are basically condemning each other. Uh, but it's not talking about not making a judgment call on what's right and wrong and stuff like that. So I think that's the first place to start. And I'm at the store. I'm on my way to the store here to pick up a few things. Um, so I'll hop back in in a second. But but yeah, I would start with that with Sola Scriptura, that, that the main thing that people have against it is sadly that we just don't know it. And I'll just throw myself in there too. There's a lot that I don't know. But I think that what we can use to guide us is to ground ourselves in the belief that this is the word of the Lord and that God has spoken something clearly to us that we're expected to listen to. And so we do need to put our ears on. We do need to have ears to hear and pray that the Spirit would open our eyes but also just to read the Bible like any other book and not allow people like Joel Osteen to just quote half of a Bible verse without telling you anything about, you know, how often does Joel Osteen talk about Paul and Paul's life? Like, do you have any context about what he is saying when he says, I can do all things? You know, Joel might quote that verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What does that mean? And so people think, oh, well, you can just take that and make it mean whatever you want. And people in the, in the health and wealth, prosperity gospel movement have made that in, into something that it's not. And honestly, I think it's just, I don't think people like Joel are innocent at all. I think they're evil, evil people who are, are either evil because they are demonic, right? Like they want to do evil or just evil through their own sheer negligence of being so lazy as to not read any of the verses around that verse. Because if you read the verse, sorry, I need to turn my notifications off. If you read the verse, you find out very quickly that Paul, I think it's in Philippians 4, maybe? Yeah. That Paul is talking about suffering. He's talking about, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So... You know, like, I'll just give you an example from my life with that verse and Sola Scriptura. Let's just get really practical here. Like, if I didn't believe Sola Scriptura and I needed somebody to tell me what that meant, and I went to Joel Osteen's church, and he tells me, well, that means that you can do anything you want and claim that you will have a better job and a better car and all this stuff, right? Um, then I could believe that and believe that there's something wrong with my faith, that there's something wrong with my family, because we're not overcomers okay like all the garbage on the radio says right like this is not about hopping out of bed and feeling great about the day that has nothing to do with what the verse is about right the verse is that when I don't feel like loving my wife because uh, 
life is too hard, right? I don't feel like doing the laundry. I don't feel like going to the store. Um, I don't feel like driving an hour to work because we can't live in the city that I work in. I don't feel like doing all this stuff, right? Then the Lord, the word of the Lord comes to Michael and says, through Paul, under influence of the Holy Spirit, writing the word of the Lord, soul scripture comes to me and says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can suffer. I can go hungry. I can go without things that I think are owed to me by God, are things that are of the standard of other people. And scripture is this beautiful tapestry that all links together. And Paul is not talking about anything in, in contradiction to the Ten Commandments that says, do not covet, right? That says, um, be, um, what is the verse? Um, to be always satisfied with the wife of your youth, right? to remember your creator in the days of your youth. Um, these parts of scripture that all go together. And so when, when somebody like Joel Osteen says that, you're like, that's not right. First of all, I can look it up and see that the context is wrong, but also I can look it up and see that it conflicts with one of the 10 commandments, which tells me not to covet. Joel Osteen is raising up a generation of coveters, okay? He is empowering them to covet. So this is not the gospel. So the, you know, one of the areas that the church needs to reform, it needs to reform these places that teach the prosperity gospel. And we have to be hard on our friends sometimes. I mean, I have a friend that I went to kindergarten with almost, right? I think it was kindergarten. And this guy posts things about Joel Osteen and goes to his church. And I've told him things about it. Um, I have a friend who I, I've known for, I think, 10 years or something like that, probably longer than 10 years, who is really into, uh, you know, the charismatic movement and all these things. And it's like you show somebody what the Word of God says, and ultimately what the person says is, I don't want to believe that, right? It's not that, oh, the Bible, I, I actually know what it really means, and they can turn around and show you what it means. No, it's just that I don't want to believe that. That's what it comes down to. I would rather believe what this guru has told me that makes me feel better than to believe what the Bible believes. And so it's really funny to throw, <laughs> to throw a Reformation party, you know, because, and I think that's something that we need to talk about this week, maybe in another podcast, is like, what, what joy do Reformed people have? You know, you seem like you're always wanting to argue with people. You know, the, the reason why I want to show people the truth is because I want them to have true joy. There is nothing worse than false happiness. Nothing worse than false happiness. Anyway, I'm about to go on a rabbit trail there uh, when I need to go into the store and shop for my beautiful wife. And um, yeah, I hope it's okay that I'm mentioning like real, real struggles because that's what the word of God is there for. It's not there to delude you. It's there to actually make sense of real shit that is going on in your life. Pardon my language. It's the word of God is like powerful and it lasts forever. Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. By the way, before you get too mad at me for using the word shit, Paul basically used the word uh, shit when he said that, I can I compare everything uh, 
and he's comparing everything in his life to like a pile of manure compared to knowing Christ. So uh, I promise not to, well, I don't make promises, but <laughs> I will try not to, uh, to give you uh, as colorful language in the, in the next half here. So talk to you in a moment. Bye. All right, welcome back to Pigeon Post. Michael is back in the car having shopped at Natural Grocers and gotten some healthy food. <laughs> oh man. All right, so um, I don't know why that was funny, but it just is. I just am thinking about life. Life is just funny sometimes, you know? Um, I'll tell you what. We're talking about Sola Scriptura, and you know, I don't have any notes. I'm just making this up as I go, as I often do, with uh, ye old pigeon post. Um, poster's gonna post, you know? Um, that was dumb, I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> you know, the Word of God brings me great comfort, and I'm sure it does you as well. Um, but there's a kind of comfort that comes when you understand that the Word of God was not written for people who were trying to, you know, accomplish the American dream, you know? The Word of God was written for people who were in very difficult circumstances. Um, as, as we go through things in our life, I find that I'm constantly drawn to the Psalms and just it's just really comforting to know that whoa breaking sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't in snow but anyway it's really comforting to know that sometimes you know when we're going through things we don't have to go to a certain priest or shaman or motivational speaker or self-help book or any of these other things because we have the Word of God and if we learn how to read the Word of God and if we have faith in Christ you know if we're really saved and the Holy Spirit is helping us uh, to apply the Word of God to our hearts um, it's just amazing um, this is a little bit off topic, I guess, but not really. When you when you let the Bible interpret in, interpret itself, and you learn the storyline of the Bible, which is about Christ, it's about His plan to redeem the world and His constant involvement and in action with humanity. You see that God is not this deistic God who wound up the universe and just lets it run. And it's just kind of hoping that you believe in him, like, for what, you know, like, I, I, I'm just being reminded more and more these days that it's not, spreading the gospel is not trying to convert atheists into theists. It's trying to convert idolaters into repenters and believers, <laughs> you know, like, people whose hearts are set on idolatry like mine was. It's trying to convert those people to repent and believe the gospel. 
Um, and we do that by proclaiming the word of God. The word of God is powerful. Like his word goes out and it, it accomplishes what it goes out to accomplish. And so if we just preach the word of God, we don't really have to worry whether people like it or not. So for instance, <clears throat> I have friends who are Catholic and I have a, you know, really good friends and then kind of, um, you know, just friends that are friends of friends and that I love dearly, but I'm not as close to. And um, then acquaintances, you know, and people I meet or whatever. And it, Catholic, Catholicism is such a stronghold, you know, like, um, and I want to talk about that more later this week, but just as far as Sola Scriptura goes, like, it's just not, it's not, it's like you don't have a relationship with God if you can't pick up his word and and know what it says. Like you have to have a priest or a pope or, you know, 2,000 years of tradition tell you what the Bible means. Um, but you can't just pick it up and see what it means, right? You can't apply it to your life in a real way unless you're just being really liberal with it and just kind of making stuff up. But Sola Scriptura brings the comfort of knowing that God is speaking to me. Now that doesn't mean that I can take verses out of context like we were talking about. It doesn't mean that we just kind of randomly open the Bible and be like, oh this verse looks good on a meme, or this verse would look good on a doily, or uh, people put verses on doilies, or a t-shirt, or whatever, you know, like this is my inspirational half verse for the day. Um, that's not what it's about. It's about getting to know the God who is holy, the God who destroys people for for being idolaters, the God who saves idolaters by changing their heart, um, the God who sent his son um, to demonstrate his love for us while we were still sinners, that Christ died for our sins. Um, <clears throat> So that comfort is really not possible if you're working for your salvation, right? And I wanted to point that out as well, that the, it, there are some characteristics of people who don't believe in Sola Scriptura. Um, <clears throat> one of those characteristics is that they, uh, they tend to rely on their works or on some organization to effectively uh, do something to save them or there is some kind of work involved right I have a friend who converted to the Catholic Church partly because the Catholic Church if I understand this correctly and if that friend's listening please correct me if I'm wrong but I think he wanted the Catholic Church to baptize his child who he wasn't sure could understand the gospel and so that was supposed to in some way save that child um, so we're relying on, if you're not relying on scripture to tell you that God uh, is saving people by faith, then the scripture always gets twisted. I, I find it very interesting that the Catholic gospel is very similar to the Mormon gospel. And it's very similar to the Jehovah's Witness gospel. And it's very similar to the Muslim gospel, right? It's just like all these are really similar. They're just like try to be good, right? Now, granted, <clears throat> the Catholic gospel does put some emphasis, you know, on the sacrifice of Christ, but you have to work with it. 
you have to do these sacraments and make these confessions and get these indulgences and whatever it is you have to do, um, it's not something where the blood of Christ spilled 2,000 years ago saves you, period, the end. It's something where you actually uh, have to be a part of this organization, this, this, um, this uh, church, which says all these things that are contradictory to the Bible, right? Um, so, Sola Scriptura will constantly reform us. So, let me just kind of like review some things that I've said, because I'm, like I said, I'm making this up as I go. Uh, but this is what Pigeon Post is. If you've been listening, you, you know what it is. It's just mainly off the top of my head, unless I sit down and do a study in my closet. But uh, that's not happening right now. <laughs> Life's a little too crazy for that. Um, so the Bible is the Word of God. The Word of God is clear. The Word of God is perfect and pure. And if we uh, put our faith in Him, we can understand what he has to say and we're called to diligently study the word of God I want to encourage you like not just to take my word for all this stuff okay just read Psalm 119 and um, actually read Psalm 19 first so in Psalm 19 it says the heavens declare the glory of God and it talks up in the first part about how what we would call general revelation just looking out uh, at the world and looking at your own conscience is enough to make you a theist when you know that there is a higher power so to speak and you know that that power is personal and so you can you can know uh, many things about the nature of God Romans 1 tells us just by and Romans and Psalm 19 tells us if you put those two together you get this theology of general revelation that God has revealed himself but not enough to save anybody, right? It, his word has to come to us. And that's what the Bible is for. And that's what Christ is for. Christ came to us, right? Um, so we need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to put our faith in, in him and what he's done. So the gospel isn't, you can't look at the mountains and know what the gospel is. We have to preach the gospel, right? And we preach the gospel through the word that he has given to us, that he's recorded. And um, so scripture, I, I was saying all that just to say that the second half of Psalm 19 uh, tells us more about the special revelation of God, this, this scripture where we actually know who God is, right? So if you ask the average person on the street, like, do you believe in God? They would probably say yes, right? Or some kind of higher power, you know, some kind of pantheistic power or something, but probably impersonal, right? And yet Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. And so when we read the Word of God, which from beginning to end tells us about Jesus Christ, and when somebody preaches the true gospel to us, that's when God begins to be a person to us. Not that we make God a person. He's always been a person, right? In fact, He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, three persons in one God. But we can also talk about just the singular person of God, like who God is, right? We learn who God is through the Scripture. And so, here's the deal. Uh, I get really upset at popes and Mormon prophets. You know, like, I don't personally, like, get upset at them, like, I'm going to find them on the street and punch them or anything like that, right? But it's upsetting to know that a man can contradict the Word of God 
and tell us false things about God. I think that's what the issue is at the end of the day. When people don't like criticism of their beliefs, right? So I know people who are probably afraid to go to their Catholic friends. Uh, maybe they used to be Catholic and they still have friends that are Catholic. Uh, or they have family that are Catholic and they, they don't want to go to them and, and say anything that's going to offend them. But let me ask you, dear brother or sister, like, what offends God, right? Isn't it offensive to God to know that people are saying false things about Him? If we go to the Scripture and we know who God is, and we want our friends and family to know who God is, maybe it will make them upset. It will make people upset when you mess with their idols, right? It's like if you had this really nice china cabinet, right? That used to be a thing. My grandma had a china cabinet. My mom had a china cabinet. She still does have, I think she has teapot, like a teapot collection, right? If I go in there and start disrupting your teapot collection, right? I start banging on it or moving it around or, or rearranging it or whatever, you're not going to be happy about it. If you're sleeping and we go in and we turn on the light, like that's not going to make you happy, right? And so we're called to do this with gentleness, but we're also called to do it with boldness, right? And so I want to be gentle to the person and say, look, I love you, right? Like you're 70 years old almost, right? And I know that you're Catholic and in the Catholic Church. And you've spent your whole life in the church and your whole faith, and it means so much to you, right? But I love you so much that I want to disrupt your peace that you have right now with the Catholic Church. Or I want to disrupt the peace that you have with your charismatic uh, faith that, that says that, you know, God is just kind of there to, like, make all these great things happen. Or that um, you need to speak in tongues in order to be saved and stuff like this. Like, whatever the belief is that needs reforming around Scripture. Um, or I want to disrupt your, your, um, your idea from the Church of Christ that you have to be baptized in order to be saved, you know. Or I want to disrupt this idol that's in your life. Maybe you're, you're a product. I'm not trying to tell, <clears throat> I'm not trying to come across with the idea that if somebody is a Reformed Protestant that they're perfect and everybody that's Reformed is going to heaven or whatever, right? Like, um... We have idols too, right? I want to disrupt this idea that Trump is the savior. Like I want to, I want to, you know, gently yet boldly disrupt this idea that um, that salvation can be lost. Or I want to, you know, gently but boldly disrupt this idea that that your doctrine is so perfect. Like this, this is what reform people tend to, to stumble on, right? That their doctrine is so perfect that they don't need a relationship with Jesus. Or that, that God is so sovereign that they don't need to pray, right? These are the kind of things that, let's disrupt my idols as well, right? So, like, we want to disrupt idols. Like, we have no respect for idols, right? But we do have respect for people. And so, we, and once again, where are we getting all of this, right? Like, where are we getting our guiding motivation? Where are we getting not only the thing that, that, that corrects our doctrine, but the thing that corrects our life, right? Like our love for one another. Like when I'm not, um, I mentioned my wife earlier, so I'll just use that analogy again, right? Um, like if I'm, or that example again, like if I'm not being loving enough toward my wife, 
Like, I don't need to know her Enneagram type. I don't need to know, like, um, you know, what deep-seated, you know, emotional thing is happening in me from my childhood or, you know, how I've seen women treated and this is causing me or, uh, you know, what I need to do is get down to my idol, like my idol of, you know, like the American dream and say, like, that is an idol that God wants me to destroy, right? Like Gideon destroyed his father's idols and pissed a whole bunch of people off. So I want to gently yet boldly do what God is calling me to do, which is to get the idols out of my life and to help point idols out wherever they are, whether it's in my life or other people's life, uh, people that I love, right? And I want to boldly but gently let Scripture confront me, right? Because... Sorry, I'm trying to back up in the snow. It's kind of tricky. Because here's what we have to do, right? As A Christian is somebody who repents and believes. But they don't just do it once. They don't just sign a card and say, Hey, I repented and believed at a Billy Graham crusade or, or Franklin Graham or whatever, right? A Christian is someone uh, not who's prayed a prayer you know, to receive Christ, but someone who repents and believes the gospel because they have been born again. Jesus said that unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom. And so one thing that I hope for you and that I would pray, I don't know who's listening, but but I encourage you to pray and let's pray together and 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 encourage people to to repent and believe. Like keep repenting and believing, right? Turn from our sin, turn from our idols, and believe in what Christ has done for us. And all of this comes to us not by Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon or um, uh, Mary Baker Eddy in Christian Science or knowing our Enneagram type or any of these substitute idolatrous things because there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And I want you, and I want me, and I want my children, and your children, and our grandparents, people that we know who are years, a couple years away from death. Think about the old people in your life, and the friends of friends, and maybe you've had this understanding of the gospel that they haven't had. Like, excuse me, my phone's vibrating there. We need to talk to them, and we do that with the authority of the Word of God so that they may know Christ. Thank you for listening. And um, we'll keep talking about things like this, this Reformation Week. If you have any ideas or if you disagree with me, um, please send me a message at pigeonpost2019 at gmail.com, pigeonpost2019 at gmail.com, and I'll try to interact with that um, the most gentle and bold way that I can. <laughs> I love you very much. Thank you for listening. Bye.